this is Tony Speaks, and this is my lovely wife, Kim. We are the founders and co-creators of the lifestyle brand and podcast, Becoming Disciplined. Every week we meet, learn from, and share best practices with highly disciplined men and women from a variety of fields and endeavors. Follow us on our journey. Yeah, the system's going to throw things at you. Yeah, the system's going to make it difficult for you to get back into society. But what part do you play? This week, Becoming Disciplined speaks to Sir Charles Carey. Sir Charles is an author, poet, singer, entrepreneur, and keynote speaker. In addition, Sir Charles has overcome cancer and substance abuse. We were honored to have him on, and you will be encouraged and inspired. Check out Sir Charles Carey, who is Becoming Disciplined. I'm wondering why I'm here, because I don't know if I'm really as disciplined as I should be. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, guess what? We're all disciplined as something. Amen. Absolutely. We are all disciplined as something. We all have different strengths and weaknesses. But I, I wanted to talk to you about a specific reason in mind. But before we go there, I want to share your context with our viewers. Sure. So, Mr. Sure. Charles, where did you grow up? Man, I'm from Harlem, Harlem, New York, man. That's uh, that's that's my that's my jam, man. I mean, always home. I'm not there now, but it's always going to be home. Okay, okay. Now, when did you when did you move away from Harlem? Uh, about twenty, uh, maybe twenty one years ago, like okay. the end of the nineties, ninety seven, ninety eight. Yeah. Okay. Now I'll tell you this: uh, as a as a North Carolina kid growing up in the country roads, uh -huh. we had this. You know, we have a fantasized idea of what growing up in Harlem is like. Like, it, it, it just seems like something uh, majestic and something that's kind of like beyond my country comprehension. So so for <laughs> our viewers who uh, grew up like I did, can you explain what it was like growing up in Harlem? Oh, man, it was wonderful. It was, you know, it was very experiential. And what I mean by that is, like, we had the real homes. We had the, uh, what do you call it? Uh, the tenements we have um projects uh high risers and i mean it was a lot of fun it was really not that different than i think a lot of other major cities but you know it was all about basketball music um what else what else of course girls growing up as a teenager um uh school you know you always was on pins and needles because we grew up with the old school Every time you got a report card, you you was hoping and praying that you prayed because I wasn't an A student. I'll be honest with you. I was like a C student, right. you know, in my eyes. I wasn't at the top of the class. Yet, in every uh, way possible, I was trying to fit in because that was the thing. You wanted to be a part of the in crowd, which probably leads to a lot of lessons I learned about being disciplined. And even though I didn't learn them then, as I got older, I became uh, more disciplined. But your Harlem was a really great place. I mean, I was um, not too far from the Apollo Theater. Uh, I lived near, well, there's a restaurant called Sylvia's, which was really known for their soul food cooking, Small's Paradise, uh, which were a lot of uh, the hustlers and, you know, the gangsters back in the day, they, they, they hung out there. I couldn't go there because I was too young. But um, it was great. But that's where I got my feet under me as a musician as well. You know, okay. I began singing and I wound up getting the opportunity to perform in a lot of those places. 
the Celebrity Club, the Cotton Club, the Rennie Lounge, you know. So Harlem was, man, it's just so rich, man, you know. I mean, there's so many things I could tell you about Harlem. Um, it's probably most of those things are in my book, though. Um, Courage, Fixing Mortality. Cancer wasn't my only obstacle. I wrote that book and I, I spilled my guts talking <laughs> all about the things I did, the things I learned, the mistakes I made as an immature young man, and you know how you bounce back from you know uh, those lessons or how you learn how to overcome some of those challenges. Because let's face it, I was on what was I on some platform the other day, and there was. Um, a group of people talking about um, how men were back in the old days. And look, I was around, but you know what? I was not that overly testosterone rich, you know, bravado, you know, man is all, man is king. That's just not who I am. But some of those men are still around today. <laughs> mm, I hear you. I hear you. Now, when at what age did you discover that your voice was special? When did you know you had a gift there? Honestly, I was about eight or nine, and I remember um, The Fifth Dimension. I remember the Jackson 5, uh, the Motown sound. Uh, I mean, the music was just the thing to do. And because my family came from music, mostly gospel, but because my family came from music, it was only natural that I would lend myself to uh, the gospel sound, eventually get my own band, eventually do track dates, do casting calls, uh, you know, I mean, I I did a little bit of everything. I auditioned for Star Search. I auditioned for Showtime at the Apollo. You know, I mean, I did everything that every musician probably has done. I was hired to sing uh, other people's songs. I mean, the whole shebang. And it was a really, really good education. Mm, okay. Now, you mentioned basketball, and my, my, my audience can't tell that how tall you are. Uh -huh. One of the few people that, are, you know, I have to look up to when I meet oh, you. Oh, no, nah, man. I think we're about <laughs> the same height. <laughs> <laughs> now, 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 how were you when you were a youngster with The Rock? How, how were you with um, I'll be honest with you. I wasn't that good, but I did. This is the thing. Now, I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. I love basketball. Being a New Yorker, my favorite player, and he's still alive today, is Walt Frazier. Walt Clyde Frazier, number 10. I was able to experience both championships from New York. Oh, wow. So, of course, that put me in a, a different mindset as a kid, as a youngster. But um, I remember, remember Walt Frazier was the first athlete to have an indoor shoe, which was Pumas. Mm -hmm. And it's only recently, about two years ago, they re issued or reassigned his deal i mean at this age so he's got another deal with puma uh with the clyde that was the the signature on the side of the shoe clyde and um i played on a team a church team we were o and 12 oh wow and wow. everyone says you sucked y'all <laughs> sucked i said you know what yeah but what what the joy and what the um the fruit from that experience was one, I played organized ball. Two, I got a chance to travel and see what that was like, even though it wasn't pro, it wasn't semi-pro. Three, I got to do something that thousands upon thousands of boys only dream about. And even though we lost every game, I learned so much about teamwork. Even if it wasn't good teamwork, I still learned those lessons. I was exposed to those experiences 
and it taught me a lot about who I was mm. and who I wasn't. And uh, I wouldn't trade it for, for anything in the world. Okay. All righty. Now, people are going to be like, man, Tony, you went dark kind of quick here because I'm, I'm about to go dark. All right. That's but the reason why it's, part of, it's all part of the context and it's all part of the, the, the narrative. It's part of the story. It's also part of the comeback. You know? Yes, sir. Um, you talked about, you know, getting into the entertainment industry. You talked to, you're, you're talking, we're talking about your youth. We're establishing that context. Now I got to ask the question as you got into the entertainment industry, when was the first time that you got high? Oh, I think I think honestly, I got high when I was about thirteen. My first time, uh, I remember in eighth grade, uh, we were having a senior trip, mm-hmm. and all the boys got together, put our money together to uh, to do our thing. We got a pouch of wine, which was the Boone's Farm, some kind of either strawberry or apple, whatever it was. I don't remember. Right. Uh, and we got uh, got some weed from somewhere. Somewhere that somebody got it. I didn't get it, but right. I was definitely down with it. And that was before. Before I really got heavily into music, when I got into music on a regular basis, talking about my band and doing track dates, that was the beginning of the abyss. And when I say the beginning of the abyss, I wasn't at the total bottom, but I was beginning to really go to the point of no return, if that makes any sense. I was in my early 20s mm. but i just didn't know what i didn't know right and um for me trying to show off that i can get this amount i knew who had the best drugs that was a false sense of security of fitting into the community and i was really it was really a part a big part of my undoing and mm. because it was a big part of my undoing and i was blind to it it just took me by surprise. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I had to face the fact that <clears throat> I would say that I can stop if I wanted to and that I don't have a problem, but I couldn't, you okay. know, because we started, I started really, it was like about fellowship, all the guys uh, that sang or, you know, again, this is I'm kind of like going back and forth. All the guys that sung and hung out together, we'd get together and watch TV and drink beer and we'd get high and whatever. So by the time I got to my early 20s and I had a band, I was really far gone. Wow. And uh, I just didn't know again that I I was uh, really on a crash collision course to nowhere. Right, right. Now, l- let me ask a question. Uh, I didn't have this in our in our notes that I sent you, but this, you just kind of you provoked a, a, something that ran through my mind there. Um, and my and my marijuana, my current marijuana associates are going to get mad at me for asking this question. But there's a big argument that I hear about among people who have done marijuana and not done. Do you as someone who's now been on the on the other side of it, someone who's been celebrating their sobriety for a long time? What do you believe about the whole gateway drug concept? Like, like, do you believe that there is a gate or do you believe? That if there had been no marijuana, you would have escalated anyway. And, you know, so what, what are your thoughts? I mean, it's a possibility that had there not been marijuana, I would have drank alcohol. I may have. Um, I don't know that that's real um, because it didn't happen that way. So I don't know that I would have actually drunk my, um, drunk uh, alcohol. I know that that was what my family did. My father, uh, all my uncles and everyone. That was their social 
way of gathering. But um, I do think that at that time it was a gateway drug. I do think for some people it still is a gateway drug. Um, my personal feelings about it, I can't trust myself, honestly, because of, well, number one, what I was able to overcome. <clears throat> I was able to overcome hell and high water. And I cannot take that for granted. Uh, I know that there are times right now, man, I, I, I'd be very transparent with you. I have woken up from dreams, drug dreams. I mm -hmm. still have drug dreams. And it's mm -hmm. not from the marijuana. Right. It's from the cocaine. Right. But right. marijuana itself, I'm on the fence, meaning that should it be legal? <clears throat> I'm not totally against it. Right. But not for me. Right. See, I'm strong enough to know that I can't do it. Right. Someone else may be able to do it, but I can't. Right. Right. And that's where I'm at is uh, I believe in freedom for people. I believe that people should have the freedom to do it. Uh, but at the same time, I think we have to educate people that not everybody, you know, uh, you know, uh, for those that don't know, I'm a, I'm a minister. You know, uh, this is a, what I consider a secular podcast. But uh, I am a minister. I'm not going to hide that from anyone. You know, I'm, I'm fully transparent. And uh, what I notice in ministry is that uh, it, there are there are people who can't handle certain, you know, just like there's certain people who can't handle a vaccine. There's also certain people that they, they can't handle certain certain things. Now, at what age would you say that you realize, oh, wow, I got a problem? How old were you then? Oh, before I say that, let me just say this about the marijuana bit. Uh-huh. <clears throat> Everyone has a different temperament. Excuse me. <clears throat> I don't know what's going on with this voice. Temp Everyone has a different temperament, different character and personality. And depending on how you're molded, you know, how you are as an individual, determines whether you have that obsessive, compulsive ability to withstand any kind of substance or mind-altering substance, I should say. Right. And that's the big thing because you can't look at a person and go, oh, he's strong enough. He can withstand it. Uh, nah, she's not good enough. She, she'll, she'll become addicted. We can't look at a person to determine whether they can um, withstand being addicted. Are they easily addicted? Are they not? We can't tell by looking at a person. Right. It takes a lot more and it's between scientific and a, I guess, a medical analysis, if you will, to determine who has that ability to do a thing and be addicted or not be addicted. And I know my personality, I have an addictive personality because I can be so extreme with anything. If I get a new camera, I'm all in it, right? I don't want to put it down. I want to shoot right away. I want to learn all the features. I want to know what can I interface with. And that's right. the same thing with the drug. That same built-in mechanism, if you will, is the thing that grabs people. And some people don't really realize that they're made that way. But to answer your question directly, when I realized I had a problem, I had to be, I had to be, uh, in, again, in my early 20s because, again, I had my band. We were doing gigs. I was doing a lot of rehearsing. Um, it was funny because it was a highlight of my uh, musical career, meaning 
I was probably in the best vocal shape in the world, but at the same time, my peak was also beginning to collide with my downfall. Mm. And um, it was a mess, man, because I'm thinking, you know, I'm good. People like the way I sing and the way I sound. But those demons were pulling at me, and I was like, what's going on? I don't have a problem. No, no, I'm good. But I wasn't good. Mm. Now, one of the two or three reasons why I called, you know, why, why I asked you to come on the show is for this next question. Um, there's a 22 year old who's watching and they put in, you know, in, the, in their mind, they, they just figure, hey, I got to get right. And uh, they're addicted to cocaine or they're addicted to heroin or they're addicted to alcohol. And they, they put in I and mean, I need to get disciplined. And then this video comes up. And uh what advice do you have for that 22-year-old who is listening today and they are addicted? And then now they're, they're hearing from Sir Charles Carey, who's come out of this and is victorious. What advice do you have for them right now? You know, it would be great if I could get to know that person, that actual personality type. But from a general perspective, I would say there's more to you than what you know about yourself. There's more that you're capable of than what you've seen and more that you're capable of capable of than what you know about yourself again, uh, because the truth is, as you grow and you have various experiences, you're going to learn more and certain things are going to appeal to you. But if you start to numb or deaden those senses you may not be able to discover these new things that thrive and, and give you a sense of awe on the inside. And you deserve the opportunity to be the real you. The real version of you should not be impaired by substance or drink. Mm. The real you is waiting to be born truly. Because even if you are a young 22-year-old, you haven't lived fully enough to know what you're capable of. Now, you may know some things you like. You may be good at certain things. But yet, I promise you that there is more. And if you start to deaden your senses right now, your motor skills, your hand-eye coordination, you may possibly never find out what that joy could be. And I don't personally think it's worth the risk of taking that away from you. You know, who knows? You could be the next president. You could be the next inventor, the next patent creator of a thing, the next author of a particular thing. You know, you may say, well, I can still be that. You may, but you never know. Because if you're changing the way you were created, you're changing your full potential and capability. Because the thoughts you have right now, they're clear. Mm. When you cloud your thoughts, you cloud your, your, yourself and you prevent yourself from having the ability to think deep. And when you are naturally in line with what you're supposed to do, what's deep to me, it won't be deep to you. Right. So don't cloud your thoughts so that you can go where no other man is meant to be. Mm. Mm. Now, Here's a sound bite. Uh, amen, amen, my brother, amen. Amen. I listen. That's some good stuff, man. So let's fast forward that 22 year old to age 27. 
They've been clean for four years because they listened to Sir Charles Carey and they got clean for four to five years. But then a family member passed away. The stress got to them. Or maybe an old friend came back in town and, and the peer pressure. That was real. And uh, they have a relapse. And, you know, they, they break with their sobriety. What advice can you give to someone who has relapsed? Actually, I know someone that that has happened to. Um, they were clean for maybe 15 or so years. And someone close to them, family member, passed. They started using again. Mm. Um, I spoke to them at the time and their reason or their preferred way of dealing with it was like, look, I'm just going to do this because, you know, you know how much they meant to me. Mm. You know how much they meant to me. And it's just like, oh, I, I can't deal with this. And I respect that. I understand that. And I get that. But I am a true enigma. Because I'm going to actually just restate the question in a moment. I am a true enigma, whereas I know that most people that have gone the path that I have gone don't re-enter society with a clean slate. But I have been fortunate enough, grateful enough, and blessed enough to know that I'm not your average bear. But I also know that everybody is not like me. When I was able to bounce back and re-enter the world with a clean slate and re-establish myself in society, get a job, they gave me a $5,000 credit card. They told me to create a lesson plan. They told me to go and teach. Wow. And I traveled around the country teaching customer service, leadership, and communication skills and all these things. And not once did they say, we want to send a chaperone with you. Not once did they say, we want to see your lesson plan. Not once did they say, why are these people sending you letters of accommodation? Wow. So, and I say that not to impress. I, I promise you, I'm not trying to impress anyone. I'm just saying that if that can happen for me, there are other people that can be part of the 20% versus the 80%. And now, when the doctor told me that we think you have cancer. For most addicts, if you haven't had stress, that one message right there is enough to make you relapse. Mm-hmm. We think you've got cancer. Right. So what I say is that, look, don't wait to die. Just continue to live. You know, if you have been clean for four years and you know, you've had some kind of stress in your life, lost your job, girlfriend leaves you or someone's cheated on you, uh, someone passed away. Yes, those things are horrific. Yes, those things are challenging. But you know what? As they say, what doesn't make, what is it? Um, What doesn't break you makes you stronger. I know I'm saying it wrong. No, that's good. What doesn't kill you only makes you stronger. And if you still have breath in your body, that means you still have the opportunity of rising, continuing, thriving, growing, going to that next level in life, whatever it may be. But you may never find out what it is if you allow yourself to backslide into that old lifestyle. And I know it's hard. Trust me, I've been there. I said I still wake up with dreams sometimes of getting high, but I didn't tell you that when I wake up, I still got an attitude. 
because right, I was about right. to get high and I woke up and I want to go back to sleep. Right, right. Because right, a part of right. me still wants that life. Right. Look, right. I've gone to schools, career day, mm. speaking to middle school kids, and some people may say that's not good, but you have to meet people where they are. Every school that I've ever spoken at, junior school, junior high school, middle school, whatever you want to call it, I've asked by show of hands, who knows someone that's gone to jail? The kids raise their hand. I say by show of hands, who knows someone that has been stabbed or shot? By show of hands. Those children have grown in a traumatized society. Mm. What should not be norm, the norm or normal, is normal to them. And those things should not be. Mm. By no stretch of the imagination, none of those kids should be raising their hands as readily as they do. But yet, the majority of the class, with each question, they raise their hand, and they're not even out of high school. Amen. Now, also, you spoke about your disease. You spoke about that you having to, to overcome that. Um, I saw you, you know, you, you made videos, and I was really encouraged by your demeanor and your frame of mind while you were, or your, or I should say your apparent demeanor, amen, you know, okay. your, your frame of mind. Yes, uh, sir. Can you, can you speak to us of how you were able to overcome that disease and your minds, the, the correct mindset? Because so now we're going to go to another hypothetical person. Uh, the hypothetical person where now let's fast forward another 15 years and the 40 year old, you know, who has three kids mm. and they go to the doctor and the doctor says, Hey, something came up on this test. Um, what, what, uh, what words of advice and what type of discipline is needed to, to, to get through that? You know, I'm a true believer that God doesn't make any mistakes. Mm -hmm. See, a lot of times I think people put God in a box or put God in certain positions. I don't think God gives you cancer. Mm -hmm. I don't think God makes you a drug addict. The way I see it is that we get freedom of choice. Our choices position us to do what we do, and then we have to deal with the causation of those choices. So when people say, why would God take my son? No, God didn't take your son. Maybe, and this is no slant against any parent, because I know every parent, at least most of them, the overwhelming majority of parents love their kids. But when we don't prepare our kids properly, when our kids get on their own high horse and decide who they are, how they are, and what they're going to do, we aren't always there to hold their hands. So... When you find that you're at a point or a stage in your life that you have to deal with this atrocity, whatever it is, you have to know that, okay, search yourself. I mean, really search yourself inside. Mm. The God in you, you have mm. to have that conversation with the God in you to know, okay, God, am I checking out? Mm. You know, what's up with this? This mm. doctor just said, X, Y, Z. Is he right. on point? Right. Now, I know, again, I am not above the fray as far as being better than anyone, not in any stretch of my imagination or anyone else's. But when the doctor said to me, for example, 
brother, the doctor told me, he says, we think you've got cancer. Mm -hmm. And my response was, um, so what are my options? And I had self-talk immediately. Why? I don't know. I said, he said, you got cancer. Don't act scared. If you weren't scared three seconds ago, it just came out of his mouth. So I didn't respond. I said, don't get on the pity pot because he said what he said. And if you feel okay, you feel okay. And that was my conversation with myself. Then I began to ask the doctor questions. Okay, what are my options? What do you think I should do? And I listened to him and he said what doctors normally say. And I said, well, I, I want another opinion. He was like, like, how dare you question the oncologist? I went to school for this. And my thought was, yeah, but you're not God, you know, and I know how I feel physically. And I know that my faith speaks louder than words. Mm. And mm. because my faith spoke louder than the words, he gave me referrals to Johns Hopkins, which I uh, went and they said, um, you know, how do you feel? And I told them how I felt. They asked me a battery of questions. And the only thing that stood out was the fatigue. So knowing that the fatigue was the only outstanding thing, I said, uh, so what's next? They said, well, let's wait and watch. Come back in six months and we'll see, you know, how things look. I said, okay. I, I wasn't concerned. I went back three years later. And they said, listen, the cancer has spread mm. from your chest. It's gotten bigger. It's in your arm. It's in your bicep. It's in your spine. I said, okay, well, tell me what, you know, what the options are. And they did. And uh, I got that chemo, you know, I got chemotherapy uh, for about six months and the cancer went away. So I thought mm. it came back eight years later and it was coupled with jaundice. And then I was literally, according to the doctor, knocking on death's door and I had to immediately go to the hospital. So there goes my movie plans, right? <laughs> I can laugh now, but it wasn't funny at the time. Right, right, right. But, you know, so the, the bottom line and the answer to your question is that you have to have faith. You have to have belief. And uh, you have to be honest with yourself. You really do. You have to be honest with yourself because the God that lives in me, it lets he lets me know where I'm at. Um, if it's important, if it's minor, it doesn't matter. I always have the feeling residing in me on what to do and what not to do. And it's just instinctive. I don't have all the answers, but I instinctively know what to do or what not to do. And I know that's not easy for other people to digest because most people need to see something or hear someone tell them something. I'm just grateful, man. I'm just, I would just encourage someone that had a similar situation just to have faith and to believe. And that's a long, look, that's a lot of talking for a simple answer. I'm sorry. No, no, this is important uh, because I brought you on here. The value, you know, you and I have, have studied a lot of the same things. And yes, sir. It's all about providing value to people. Yes, sir. Know? And uh, so that's really the second reason that, that I invited you on is I want someone to search this podcast. And if they get that diagnosis that day, I want them to hear a voice of wisdom of mm -hmm. someone who's actually gone through it. Uh, as a, you know, you know, I can give, you know, I, I counsel people, but I haven't gone through what you've gone through. Yes, sir. And, 
that and that wisdom is deeper when someone's actually been there and done that. Uh, now we, we speak about discipline, and I spoke to my not-for-profit yesterday about uh, how we are doing unhealthy things to ourselves with stress and sleep and gluttony and oh uh, yeah, and uh, you know those type of things. What advice do you have? Any recommendations for any dietary changes now that you've gone through that 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 process? Well, I, I wish I was like the all knowing all knowing nutritional expert, um, but I'm not. But I have made significant changes. I first of all, I haven't eaten pork since I was 13, and that's even through my addiction. So I think that probably helped whatever percent. 10%, 15%, I don't know. I just feel so because I know the fat and all the poisons in pork. You know, I know it's possible that those things can be contributing factors. But as an adult, I made a conscious decision as it relates to discipline to uh, stop eating chicken, mm. stop eating red meat. I think we're going into our sixth year of no chicken, no red meat. I really don't do fast food, honestly. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Chick Chick Fil A came on the scene, I was good with it, but that was like I said six years ago. <laughs> I still like them waffle fries, though, man. <laughs> <laughs> but I must admit, um, yeah. So we don't do fast food. We don't do the fried. We do as little fried food as possible. Not 100 percent abstaining. We, as little as possible. Uh, we try to minimize my biggest thing is the sugar that's another addiction but my biggest thing is the sugar that's a a a problem for us especially people of color you know um it's for all honestly for all people just that people of color seem to lend ourselves to more sweet oriented things or starches which turn into sweets but um yeah, so diet is really important. I try to eat greens as much as possible, and I mean all vegetables. I love salads. I'll have a salad every day of the week. I'll just switch it up with tuna, with turkey, with salmon, um, romaine, spinach. You know, there's always a way you can flip a salad, man, and salads are delicious. And I'm right. starting to get into more things like using olive oil, natural or, or virgin olive oil on my foods versus salad dressing per se. Mm. I love avocado. Um, what can I tell you about food? Oh, I drink only alkaline water, a uh, high pH balance of at least minimum 7.0. Mine personally is 8 to 9.0. Uh, I, I buy it by the case. Um, my, again, my biggest challenge is sweets. I love sweets, so that's my biggest challenge. Uh, gingerbread, was it not ginger cookies? Ginger snaps. That's my 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 eyesore. I hated them when I was a kid, but now I love them, man. Um, what else? Waters is the plus. Vegetables, uh, vegetables. Yeah, I I do take supplements. I believe that supplements are important because as we get older, our bodies we stop producing certain things that we need. So I like to help my body by uh, taking supplements, which is um, a multivitamin. I take zinc. I take magnesium. I take elderberry. Uh, I do drink apple cider vinegar. I, I mix it with a little orange juice sometimes. So even though I'm not the perfect uh, specimen of health, uh, I try to put things in my vessel uh, that helps my body do what it needs to do, protect itself and produce 
the natural enzymes that it used to produce, um, trying to move towards an alkaline state. Mm, that's good. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. Now, the third reason I brought you on um, is for those who don't know, I've, I have heard many, I've, I have been in concert where I sat and listened to the, pretty much all the Leverts. Yes. Uh, I've listened to the Isley Brothers. I've listened to a lot of great singers. I love this guy. I can say that Charles Carey, the only two people I can think of that have a better voice than Charles Carey is Luther Vandross. Okay, Luther got you, brother. Okay, I'm sorry. Luther got you. And then the second one is an opera singer that you that you don't know. There's a sister I know who's an opera singer who, my goodness. I mean, but other than that, Charles, just so y'all know, Charles Carey has probably one of the greatest voices that I have ever heard in my life. It really took me back when I heard your voice. Like it was like, whoa, I was like, whoa, you know, well, like- I appreciate it, that, man. It, it, it truly, uh, that's why I'm bald. It blew my hair back, amen. So, uh, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but uh, for, for now, now this is the third reason I'm bringing, bringing you on. Um, a young artist is listening to this. Okay. And uh, they have that, that voice that you have. Uh, and, my question is, what habits or disciplines do you recommend to them to protect that that treasure that God has given them? You know, it's funny. You're asking so many questions that are really right down my aisle, man, because I've gone through so many of these challenges. And, you know, I still say that I am grateful because one of the things that broke my heart, and this is in response to your question, one of the things that broke my heart was um, it was when remember the time was up. Michael Jackson. Mm-hmm. I had friends that were on the road with um, Keith Sweat. I think Allison. I think it's Allison Taylor, Johnny Kemp. All these people. The New Jack Swing was hitting hard, but Michael Jackson's "Remember the Time" had topped the charts at this point. And uh, the band, they were like, "Look, we're tired of being on the road. We want to come home." So they came back stateside. They said, we want to do our own thing. Mm. And it's funny how everything has a story, but it's true. Everything does have a story. Um, So they said they want to do their own thing. And they came back. And what they did was they um, got a group together. It was a keyboard, drummer, uh, guitarist, and a bass player. So at the time, I was singing in the New York City subway, uh, subway system after my day job, because I can make a killing. Four people could score maybe $400, three three to $400 each in a period of two to three hours, you know? So you imagine you get off work at five, you get downtown, do rush hour from six to nine, do that two or three days a week. Unfortunately for me, I was smoking up all the profits. But my point is, I'm with this band. Mm. We have a couple of rehearsals. Finally, the keyboard player comes over to me, over to me and he says, yo, um, I'm like, what you mean? It's not going to work out. What's not going to work out? You're not going to make the cut, man. What? It broke my heart, brother Tony. I had never been dismissed from my first natural gift of song in my life. And I couldn't believe that for the first time, I was not wanted, especially for music. That was the thing that I always did and always did well. Play on the crowd, 
play off of my musicians, my fellow musicians, sing the songs, hit the high notes. But that was the problem. I wasn't hitting the high notes. Instead of, do you remember, girl? I was trying to play it off. Do you remember, girl? Because my throat was full of mucus from all the crack I was smoking. Mm. You see? I had just jackpotted myself. I put myself in a tailspin by thinking I was so smart and so clever. Yeah, there are times when you can drop a, an octave and you can, you know, pass the mic out to the audience for them to sing the main part of the song because it's such a well-known song. But by and large, you're the artist, you're the talent. You should be able to perform that song all the time, the way it's originally planned or um, arranged. And I wasn't doing it. I was underweight. My eyes looked sunken in. My hair was a mess. And I couldn't wait to get to rehearsal so I can get from rehearsal to get high. Because that was my all in all. So the advice I would give a musician, you've got to stay on top of your craft. You've got to stay well rehearsed. Know the shortcuts, but don't rely on the shortcuts. Because the shortcuts are not the answer. You know, it's no different than me as a speaker, as a keynote speaker. I can't just say, well, I got a, I got a presentation I can do. Don't look at the presentation. Don't look at my slides and just uh, expect to be flown out to whatever the company is. And without even going over my material, put on a, a lapel mic, throw on a suit and go out there and do a great presentation. You still have to practice the craft has to be home so you must respect the craft mm. no matter how you look at it whether you like it want to do it or not this is required if you want to be the best one of the best or just simply have a good showing you got to be a professional sure amen that's that's great that's some great stuff man that is some great stuff now um i want to and and i almost hate to ask this because i don't want to i don't want to focus too much on one area because uh, it's only one segment of who you are. Uh, but this came to my mind as you were sharing all of that. Uh, as someone, you know, I watched what happened to Whitney Houston. Ah. But I watched it from a perspective of a guy who never done cocaine. I watched it from a perspective of a guy who can't carry a note in a bucket. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but well, have they heard you do a spoken word piece? Ha -ha. Yeah. Yeah, that's what got me doing spoken word because I I wanted the stage, but I know I didn't have that. I didn't have your. I didn't share your gift, and uh, so my question is for someone who has overcome. When you were seeing her go through that, how did that look through your eyes? Like like I know how it looked through my eyes, but how did how did that how did you experience what happened to our sister Whitney? I really felt bad because on for a number of reasons. Number one. When you're in the world of substance abuse, people are always pointing fingers at you. And I felt bad for Bobby. I felt bad for Bobby because he didn't introduce her to drugs. Her very own brother said in an interview, I believe with his mother there, that he introduced his sister to drugs and he was sorry that he did. Now, maybe he could handle it, handle it better, but he didn't have Whitney's money. So it contributed to her demise, if you ask me. And how I felt about it was like, 
it's a shame because so many of the greats, and it's almost like it's, it's almost as if you would say it's supposed to be that way. Mm. If you're one of the greats, your biggest downfall is going to be drugs, an airplane, airplane crash, or, or back in the day, you know, some of the stars got shot and they died, you know, something like that. But it's going to be some kind of horrific ending. Right. And it was bad because, and I felt bad about it because her range, her ability to do what um, Mariah does today, even though Mariah is starting to show her age, um, and no, no slight against Mariah, I still like her vocal talents. Um, but Whitney was just original, man. I mean, she was from New Jersey. I'm from New York. Uh, she's much younger than I am, but. It's like when you see people that come from that same place that you come from, you always want the best for them. And um, it was just so sad. I mean, I, just, I was recently watching some other stuff on YouTube because, you know, Bobby Brown's sister talks about the people that were in her corner, how they really didn't have her best interest in mind. And it's like, wow, I can see that because sometimes when you do drugs, you can become a, a hot mess, meaning that a mean person, an evil person, you know, and I, I saw glimpses of Whitney's offstage persona in Bobby's uh, Bravo reality show being Bobby Brown. I mean, I don't know if she was really like that all the time, but the talent, the one that we look to as the one that brings us this skill set that we all love. It was just sad to see her go out the way she did knowing that she probably had so many more years left in her. Maybe now she'd have, what, five or 10 more years? Uh, well, from that point to now, five or 10 more albums, I should say. Who knows if they would have mm. been chart toppers or, or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. Now, the fourth reason why I invited you on here was uh, you also are a public speaker. Yes. And, uh, and, you know, I know you've been doing it for a long time, but at least I've been a, I've been aware of your public speaking for five, six, seven years. And but I know it's been longer than that. Uh, so what and, and you have a very involved, you know, you have your production, your pro, matter of fact, I've interviewed a lot of people, you know, and you even for this interview, you're very prefer, prepared, very professional. Uh, my, my question is, what advice, habits or disciplines do you recommend for someone who is just embarking upon their public speaking profession? Honestly, it's no different than being a musician. You've got to do the work. I mean, you really have to do your homework. You have to, first of all, you need to know who you are. And if that's really for you, uh, public speaking, then you need to have a message. What's your message? What is it that you will speak about? Why will people look to you to be the subject matter expert? Now, you have to come to terms with that. What's your story? And it's funny that, you, you know, you're, you're asking this question now because on Saturday, this Saturday, I'll be speaking about, I have a workshop, we call it, Tell Your Story, Live Your Story, Be Your Story. And the whole premise of the, sh- of the pro- workshop is to help other people position themselves to write their own book and to be able to communicate effectively and how to create other products. And I think that everyone has a story. 
I think that some people don't realize they do. Now, it's true that everyone has a story. It doesn't mean that everyone should write a book, but at least find out if you should and if you um, have what it takes. And I truly believe that if your family has done something and no one knows about it, but Big Mama and, you know, Big Mama has passed away or it's been a long time since uh, the family business was, um, you know, created. Why not write that story? Never know. Someone may want to know about it. Um, if you have overcome insurmountable odds, that's a story worth telling. And there are people in the speaking industry that speak about stories like that. Um, if you have had atrocities, there are people that speak about that. So you have to take your story and it has to be um, positioned in the right arena, the right area so that um, the audiences that will hire you to speak or the audiences that you will speak to, even if it's for free, that it will make sense. Your story is aligned with what the organization is about. Your talk is aligned with where they're trying to take people that are part of their organization. And that way, everything becomes congruent. But the first thing is to know what it is that you want to talk about. What it is that you feel is important in order for you to uh, have a story, uh, start your journey as a speaker, um, do the things that we all do. You know, how do you create your presentation? I mean, so start with having a story. Yeah deciding what you're going to talk about. In fact, if I were to give you a tip, if someone wanted to be a public speaker, write down all of your stories. Mm -hmm. And then after you write down all of your stories, look to see which stories have the same type of theme in common. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, do that with the whole list, whatever your list consists of, whether it's three or four stories or, or 20 stories. And, and then you start the process. You need to find a mentor. Find someone to help you shape your talk so that you can begin the process of becoming the person that you want to become as a public speaker, mm. whether it's motivation, inspirational, or otherwise. And then you're going to have to find a category that you speak in. Now, that's a lot. I don't want to give you a drink of water with a fire hose, but that's a lot uh, that's starting out. That's good. That's good. And I look forward to that training on Saturday. I will be there with bells on. All yes, right. Sir. All right, we already got our receipt. We're, we're ready. We're ready. All right. Yes, sir. Uh, now, this I'm gonna go far into the left. You, you know, I'm gonna go in another direction. Okay. Uh, but the the purpose is, I ask this of all our guests, all our high performers. We ask this, and we're gonna string all of their answers together in a separate video one day. Um, now, the question I have for you now is: Are you a good sleeper? When and where? And if you are, when and where did you develop your current sleep habits? I am a horrible sleeper. I'm okay. from New York, man. Sleep when, you, <laughs> sleep when you're dead, man. Um, and that's not good to live by. Um, you know, my fiance keeps telling me that I need to get my sleep. I need to get more sleep. Um, the way God made me, my brain is always working on something. Now, I'm not looking at it as a fault. It's just an asset. Then maybe I overworked that muscle, some muscle, I overwork it. But I believe that I was created as a creator. Um, you know, when I was into music heavily, you know, I would say, yeah, I'm a singer, I'm a singer. 
And what I realized is, yeah, but you're really an artist because I sang lead, I sang backup, I did spoken word, I've been in acting, and that's more of an artist than a singer, you know? So I've explored the different areas of the artistic realm. And as a speaker, well, yeah, I'm a speaker, but I'm a trainer, I'm a coach, I'm an author. And what do those two different worlds sort of have in common? Their creation. You cre- you're always creating. And, you know, that may not be a viable title for someone unless you're in, unfortunately, in the, you know, the artistic realm. But that's the bottom line. I'm a creator. You know, I have right now, I'm working with maybe six, seven different authors. Another form of creation where I'm positioning their their intellectual property in front of the general public, in front of the world, if you will, mm-hmm. and promoting what they do in addition to what I do. Another level as a speaker. When I do conferences and I have other speakers on my platform, that's a conference facilitator. Uh, that's more than just a speaker. So I'm a creator, man. You know, I'm, I don't get to sleep. I probably could or should. Um, I will not complain about it. Um, I'm grateful because I like the ideas I come up with. And I'm not selfish. If I come up with a fantastic idea and it's not for me, it's not for me. I don't mind giving it away. I mean, there are people that make money from sharing and creating ideas. And I do somewhat. But I, I, I'm comfortable knowing that with all that has been given to me, when I get an idea, I don't care if I get 20 ideas in a day. If they're not for me, they're just not for me. I don't want to be what I'm not. And at the same time, I don't want to be so selfish that I prevent other people from flourishing or uh, sprouting roots, if you will, to become something even greater. At Becoming Discipline, we examine discipline or organization in the following areas. Spirituality, mental discipline, physical discipline, emotional intelligence, financial discipline, time organization, and home and data organization. Can you tell us which of these do you consider your strongest points and what is your undeveloped area? And I'll, I'll read them off again. Please. Spirituality, mental disciplines, physical discipline, emotional intelligence, financial discipline, uh, time management, and home and data organization. So which one of those are your strong points and which one is the undeveloped area? I think mental discipline is my strong point. Um, followed slowly or uh, closely by the financial discipline. I think my weakest point is, um, ah, oh, man, those are all so good, you know, and I know we all play a role in several of those. Um, run them down one more time. I'm going to pick the weak, the weakest one. Uh, spirituality, mental physical, emotional, physical is my weakest one because I don't work out like I should. And I know that's important. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Now in 2021, do you have any plans to work on that weak area or or you just like, man, I'm busy. (laughs) You know, it's funny. Um, my fiance and I, we, uh, have a program for couples to work out on and 
she saw it. I saw it first and I, and I showed it to her. She said, oh, we should do that. So I purchased it. I pulled the trigger. I purchased it. So I'm looking forward to working out um, with that program with her, the both of us. This way we can continue to grow together um, spiritually, physically, and uh, any other lead that fits the <laughs> category. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Amen. Now, some people believe on focusing on strengths and ignoring weaknesses. I know. What do you? What you? on that what what is your you know how do you approach that you know I, I i understand that i think it's smart to focus to double down on your strengths but i don't think you should totally ignore your weaknesses i know a lot of people do that and i think some people make excuses for that in other words they'll stand behind and nah, just focus on your strengths that's because they really don't want to acknowledge the weaknesses there's several a few trades of thought if you focus on your strengths sure you can always hire someone for the parts you aren't strong in i get that but i think you should have a active or a working knowledge of those weaknesses because if and when you do hire someone you need to know if they're doing the job right right that's that's my my perspective and i am a hands-on person for example when i do events i've got my own cameras my own lights my own lavaliers my own pa system all sorts of microphones and banners i mean I'm fully equipped. However, I'm not going to run around a hotel room or a studio shooting everything, touching, turning on all the cameras. And I know how to because I've done it. But that's not that's not a professional uh, approach. You want to hire people uh, to do what you need done, but you need to know how it should be done. Uh, you are uh, normally I only ask this question once, but I'm going to ask it three different ways. OK. Uh, what book recommendation do you have for aspiring singers? What book recommendation do you have for public speakers? And what book recommendation do you have for people who are recovering from an addiction? Okay, the speakers and the singers, I would recommend, there's, 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 there's a couple. There's a book here, it's called What's So Hard About Being You? Yes, I did write it. No, it's not a shameless plug. It's a real plug because before you venture into any area, you need to know who you are. And what's so hard about being you, it focuses on the things that we do that get in our own way. And if you can't know your own shortcomings, and let's be honest, sometimes it's difficult to see. It's hard to see. Or you may not realize, oh, man, I'm setting my own stuff up. Dang. And that's real because it can happen. Um, I think that that's important. And then radiate the brain and change the game. Now, why that one? Again, this is for speakers and for singers. That one is focusing on the things outside of you that prevent you from moving forward. So one focuses on the things that we do to prevent ourselves from moving forward. And the other focuses on the things that happen outside of us that prevent us from moving forward. Now, here's another what I consider an asset about those books. They're interactive books. I look at those books as a personal resource. So I'm going to ask you some questions in these books. And it's up to you to answer them. But I suggest you write in your book the answer to those questions 
and your book becomes your own personal resource. And once you write, it has been said that something about us writing in our own handwriting on paper, in a book, or anything, it's almost like a chisel to stone. Mm. It stays with you for a lifetime. Even if you look away from it and you come back to it, there's sometime, something about the connection of knowing the, these are my thoughts, this is my writing, and it prevent, it, pre, it creates an imprint in our minds about where we were at that very time. So if you look at it now and you write in the book, you do whatever you have to do, and six months to a year ago, a uh, year later, you look back at it, you may have progressed. Hopefully you have, but it's a way of convicting you to your own truth. And you can never say, I didn't know. No one ever told me. I never thought of it. I never put it like that. I never considered that. I try to eliminate all of the excuses that we make for ourselves. And I've been fortunate that baby boomers down to, I think, Gen X is so far. I think millennial. I forget, I forget the ranges. My daughter is in her 20s. So from baby boomers down to people in their 20s have told me, wow, I see myself in your book. Wow. Mm. So that's what I would suggest for singers and for speakers. Now, for substance abusers, you know, honestly, it's, it's, it's good for them too, but I want to I want to think of something else, make another recommendation because I find that a lot of times substance abusers are very creative people, very crafty, very handy. Um, they have the gift of gab and things of that nature. Uh, there's a book by Tim Grover called Relentless. Tim Grover is the coach that worked with Michael Jordan, Dwayne Wade, and many other top athletes. Now, it's not, not, it's not about athletics so much, but it's about the same principles that athletes uh, use to execute, to be assassins in their game, are some of the same nuances that you can use as a recovering addict to be an assassin and getting back into life. Now, again, I'll be honest with you. What's so hard about being you? I won't say it'll do the same thing, but it'll do some of the things that make you have to confront your own evils. Because a lot of times, people in recovery, they're so glad to get out of recovery that they don't want to do the work. They just want the recovery process to be over. But you're, if you're really about being healthy and getting back into society, I would say look at what's so hard about being you. Because you may find out yeah, the system's going to throw things at you. Yeah, the system's going to make it difficult for you to get back into society. But what part do you play? Mm, mm, that's good. Even that title is is very profound. Uh, I, uh, I'm not a prophet, but I do uh, make predictions. And uh, I think you're going to have to republish that. But you're going to have to republish that book one day. Oh, okay. okay. You know, okay. I know it's available now, but I think it's going to have to be reprinted one day. I received that. Uh, I think, you know, I, I I believe that. I firmly believe that. Now, Sir Charles, in case people don't make, I'm going to put all kind of promotional materials at the end of this this video. But in case they don't make it there, uh, in case people turn, you know, sometimes people tune off a little uh, sooner than we would like. Uh, where can people find you? 
They can find me on all social media, such as Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter, forward slash, all of those platforms, Sir Charles Carey. And that's S-I-R Charles, C-A-R-Y, Sir Charles Carey. And I'm fairly active on all those platforms, including the new Clubhouse. Um, and they, if they want to go directly to a website, if you're a little old school, you don't do social media so much, you can go to SirCharlesCarry.com, which links directly to my official site. But if you're a person that likes to read books and you just want to get the book or a book, go to WordsmithSpeakersAlliance.com. That's WordsmithSpeakersAlliance.com. Dot com. Awesome. 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 Now, Sir Charles, uh, I'm going to give you the closing thoughts. But before I, I, I uh, kick it over to you for the last thoughts, I just wanted to share. Uh, I already loved you, brother. I already liked you, brother. But uh, I can honestly say with this interview, um, even more so of, you know, you already uh, you already were someone that I considered of substance you already were someone that 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 I had a great deal of admiration for, but uh, through this interview, uh, I'm even more impressed. Even after all these years of knowing you, I've known you for 17 years, and uh, uh, you really br- you really brought it on this interview. I really appreciate you for coming on. I really appreciate your professionalism because you know that uh, you and I ha- have something in common. We have a lot of creative friends. Yes. And uh, when you have a lot of creative friends, that doesn't mean they're going to always be professional. That doesn't mean that they're going to always be on time. It doesn't mean that they're going to always have their stuff together. And uh, man, I I can tell you, brother, I've I've always, you know, loved you to death, always liked you you because there's a difference between loving people and liking people. You know, I I can love people. That don't mean I necessarily like them. You know what I'm saying? Yes, sir. (laughs) I've always loved and liked you, man. But but I can honestly say, man, this interview if people don't come away from this interview with something special, uh, they just don't want to receive anything special. So you really, uh, you really have uh, not only uh, my daughters always run up to me and they say, daddy, you know, are you impressed? And then I I always try to tell them like, baby, no, 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 I'm encouraged, but you got to do something special for you to impress me. Right. Amen. And and brother, I can tell you, uh, you have truly impressed me and uh, you have been a, a great guest, one of our greatest guests. And, wow, uh, we truly I appreciate that coming on, and we thank you for that. And uh, with all that being said, thanking you again for coming on, uh, brother Charles. Just so you know, uh, our audience is basically not—it's uh, not shaped by genre or race. It's—it's it's basically an audience of people who just want to do better for themselves. So, uh, knowing your audience and knowing the audience of this podcast. I want to kick it over to you for any closing thoughts. Well, I, I usually like to ask a question because I think that this question will turn the lights on for somebody. And I don't know who it's for, but I'll ask it anyway. What is the thing that you talk about more than anything else? And when you talk about it, you light up inside. Maybe even a smile comes to your face. Whatever that answer is, I promise you, promise you, promise you, you may have just met your purpose. If you enjoyed Sir Charles Carey as much as we did, please check out his upcoming events 
and also check out his Wordsmith Speaker Alliance, where you too can learn how to tell your story. The Wordsmith Speaker Authors. Each featured author provides their own unique style as a subject matter expert on an array of topics. They have paved the way so that you don't have to. The professional, personal, or spiritual development that they exhibit in their work is designed to do one thing, and that is to provide the answers that you may not have. These authors also provide resources that speak to families, insecurities, and health matters. Go to www.wordsmithspeakersalliance.com.